This is the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast. So it was just a nightmare. And the more structural work that we were doing, the more we found out, you know, there was termite damage. There was a lot of moisture, wood rot issues underneath the property, um, foundation issues. So it was just kind of like a, like a sinking hole. Like it just kept going. You're listening to the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast, where we discuss tangible tips, tricks, and best practices for becoming financially free. The show is designed for people who want to either start real estate investing or for those who want to scale their real estate business. What's going on, everyone? This is Jonathan Farber, your host of the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast. I hope you're all well and healthy. For any first-time listeners, thanks for being here. The goal of this show is to explore ways to become financially free through real estate or to increase passive cash flow through real estate. A little background on myself, I work in corporate America at a software company and my side hustle is real estate. I currently own eight rental units and looking to add more this spring. I have house hacked, bird, flipped, and done short-term rentals to name a few strategies. My current focus is 20 to 30 unit apartment buildings in Ohio and Kentucky. I love to network and learn. So if you'd like to connect further, feel free to find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, or BiggerPockets. What's going on, guys? Great episode today with Tiffany Alexi. Tiffany is based in Raleigh, North Carolina, where we first got connected through social media back in probably 2016. She was a fellow house hacker and she is a broker in the area, killing it, building up her investment business and her brokerage business, which we talk about on the episode. Uh, A little more background on her. She has 12 units. She's done about 20 deals, including wholesales. And she's just got a great attitude and great brand that she's building on social media. So as I mentioned, she's building up the brokerage business and she's doing it all in an effort to build lifestyle by design or create a lifestyle that she has crafted where she can achieve financial freedom and help the most people. So really cool stuff. Also, I've said it before, it's just refreshing to have women come on the show. There's not that many in real estate, unfortunately, uh, and I'd love to have more on. So if you do know anyone that would be a good fit or is just uh, dabbling in real estate or has a couple of deals done, please let me know, shoot me a DM. But Tiffany is just awesome. She also runs a group um, within North Carolina, or not, not formally, but she also runs a group of just helping other people and having them kind of get started in real estate. So she's just very active on social media and uh, in the community of Raleigh with people that are looking to buy houses or invest in houses and figure out house hacking. And it's just really cool to see. Uh, The thing that we uh, jumped on and stuck on for for quite a couple minutes and seemed to stand out to me was her view on building your team and how you can find brokers with um, networking and how you can find deals through networking, either through wholesalers or through going to events online or in person and just figuring out who are the reputable people in the space. So there's like that layer of being referred to someone and then there's the layer of feeling good about someone and they tie together pretty well um, if you're trying to do business with someone and you're not sure if they're going to be a good fit. So I met a lot of the things that I think about as well of do you feel good about this person? Have they been referred to you? And can you go out and explore some property with them to see if you have a good vibe and feel when you're with them? So she goes into more depth there, but that was my main takeaway of the episode. There was a lot of good stuff here, guys. Just you'll hear it as far as how to find deals and what metrics to use, but uh, that was the main thing. Today's tangible tip is if you create content, something that I've been thinking more about, um, and you do live content specifically, 
there is such a long lifespan right now for live content, especially because all the social media providers, platforms, whatever you want to call them, they are boosting live content. So they want more of it, meaning they will keep it at the top of the feed. So even if you do a live recording or webinar, or you're just talking about something on live Facebook or Instagram, and it doesn't get a lot of views or not a lot of people jump on, do not get discouraged because one, it's a challenging medium to figure out as it is because people are busy and they're doing stuff. And I have some tips now for doing live content that I didn't know at the beginning and I was not sure why that many people weren't jumping on, but basically that content will be watched for a long, long time. So I have live content that I put out six months ago that's still getting views, still getting, I'm still getting DMs about. And at the time, no one was on there live. It was like three people and I was eh, like, why am I doing this? But there's such a long shelf life for live content that will just stay at the top of the feed. And uh, I would just encourage you to stick with it and not get discouraged if not that many people are joining live because there's so much uh, stuff that can be recycled and you never know what people are going to search for even in five years. Like if you created that content, it will still be there on the internet and someone can find you and check you out and may get exposed to what you're doing that way. You just don't know. So my advice, create the content, do the live stuff, and it doesn't matter how it goes in that exact moment and hopefully well, but you want it to just be there for kind of the life of the internet where it'll be searchable forever and people can find you. So that's today's tangible tip. Uh, really excited about this episode today with Tiffany. She's just a great person and become a good friend. And I'm excited for you guys to hear her story. So let's get into it. <laughs> Tiffany, what is going on? Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to have you and I'm excited to dig into your story. One selfish thing that I love about the podcast is even when I have friends on, it's such a good excuse to dig into all these curious questions and origin stuff that would just be awkward or weird to talk about over coffee. So uh, I'm excited <laughs> to do that today, but I have heard you on other podcasts, so I know your story is very interesting. So um, you mind just giving our listeners a quick background of where you live, how you got started in real estate, and what you do today? Sure. So I live in Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, I started in real estate in 2011, so I was a senior in college, and I purchased a condo, a four-bedroom, four-bath condo, um, near a local university to essentially house hack. So I lived in one bedroom and I rented out the other three to some friends and some people that I found on Craigslist. Um, it was kind of my first venture into real estate investing. I had no idea what I was doing at the time. I just got super lucky on the timing. Um, and I held that property for a couple years. And after doing that and seeing the cash flow and realizing that I was living in my own house not only for free, but also getting paid. Um, that's what kind of got me jump started in real estate. And after that, I got my real estate license, essentially just to save myself the commission on my own deals. Um, but from there, you know, I started having friends and family reach out and like, oh, you're, you have your real estate license. Can you help me buy a house? Like I want to buy a house. And yeah, it just kind of grew naturally from there. So today, um, I have a brokerage. We've been in business for a couple of years now. Um, and I've got six on my team right now. So yeah, it's been great. It's been a lot of fun just, you know, working in real estate. And I'm originally from Cary. So I grew up in Cary. So just mm -hmm. being around the same area has been a lot of fun. Yeah, totally. And I'm sure you've seen it change a lot through the years. <laughs> yes, immensely. <laughs> Which is cool and good for business. 
So you mentioned a couple of things there. A lot of this audience is beginner investors trying to figure out what's the best way to get started. Some of them may live in more expensive cities than others, but not everyone. So the way that you started is very similar to the way I started. I bought a place when I was 21, had no clue what I was doing. It was right <laughs> after I read Rich Dad Poor Dad and someone said, check out Bigger Pockets. And I was like, I came down from New York thinking, oh my God, rent is 900 and I can live in a luxury apartment. And then five months later, I'm like, why am I throwing this money away? I could just be <laughs> yeah. living for free. So it sounds very similar to you. So can you talk a little bit about how that experience was on your first deal of house hacking and if you recommend it for other people as a way to get started in real estate? Yeah, so I definitely recommend it as a way to get started. Um, you know, when you're purchasing a home and you're living in it, you get owner-occupied financing, which is a lot better than your traditional investment property financing. Um, you can get financing for as little as like 3% down. So your, your barriers to entry are a lot lower. Um, on that first property. And depending on the lender, they may have different, you know, first time homebuyer programs um, or different incentives to help you out. So if you're wanting to start, you know, with your investing career, that's definitely a really, really great way to start um, and just kind of get your feet wet on having roommates uh, and kind of just learning the process while you're living there and then just gradually build from there. Totally. It's like, I kind of think about like training wheels for real estate a little bit. You at least know the mechanics of how to work with a broker, how to put money into an account that is going to be used for the property or inspections, Mm -hmm. due diligence. And then from there, like a lot of people may be interested or not interested in taking their next steps, but it sounds like for you, then you were interested in taking next steps. So that first deal went pretty well. Can you talk us through what happened in the years after the the deals after that you snowballed after that first one sure yeah so i owned that first property for a couple years i want to say i probably lived there about three years before i decided to continue and -hmm. i think that's important too um a lot of investors i think going go into it and they immediately they're like oh i'm going to buy 10 properties and you just don't know if you're you know suited to be a landlord if you will even actually like it Um, so I think it's a good idea to start with one and have that for maybe a year or two, see how it goes, see if you like it, and then maybe branch out from there. Um, don't go too crazy and and overload yourself, but yeah, so I had that one for about three years and my career kind of took me, um, I moved briefly to Charlotte, North Carolina for a job opportunity. And at that point I rented out my room. Um, So I had that four bedroom, four bath condo fully leased and was living in Charlotte for a couple months. Didn't like it. Didn't like the job. Decided to move back to Raleigh. And um, so I moved back and moved it back in with my mom, um, which of course spurred me to, okay, I need to get out of here. What do I do? Um, Because I had my room already rented out. So I couldn't move back into my investment, that initial property. So I decided to buy another property and do the same thing. Um, so this one that I bought was across the street from that first condo, still over by NC State. Um, it was a three bedroom, two bath condo. So I lived in the master bedroom and then I rented out the other two bedrooms. Um, so, you know, similar, similar deal, house hacked, um, they paid rent plus utilities. And, and then I still had that first property that was, um, cash flowing. So just Mm -hmm. slowly started to build the empire. So for someone listening, trying to figure out 
how to do this or if it's a fit for them. Um, can you talk through some of the details of how many of these you can do, what the process is like working with a bank, um, all that sort of stuff, and if you think there's maybe any downsides to doing it? Yeah, so really it's going to be up to your income as far as what you can qualify for on investment properties. Um, on my first one, you know, at the time I was in college and didn't really have much income other than just like part-time jobs here and there. I was working at like Chick-fil-A and Starbucks. Um, and so that's not really quite enough to, you know, support a mortgage. So my mom actually co-signed with me on that first loan, mm -hmm. um, which really helped out. And so then on the second, um, at, by that, by that time I had like another job offer in Raleigh. So I used the offer letter to qualify. Um, Usually they'll cap them at like 10 um, properties in your, in your name and your personal name. Um, but it's just, it's just a matter of, of financing and qualifying based on your income. And sometimes they can use rental income as well, or even projected rental income. I've had some lenders use like 75% of projected rent, which mm -hmm. also helps qualify. So it just depends on the lender and the different programs they have too. Got it. Okay. And most of these deals that, you were buying were MLS deals or off market? These first two were MLS. Okay. So yeah. for the person that's out there listening right now, wondering what's the best way to find either a broker or find a deal, what advice do you have for them as far as going about doing that and finding someone that can work with them and understand, I guess, their investment criteria. And I'll, I'll preface sure. it by saying one more thing of, uh, I, I have this personal bar in my head where it's like, if, if it's a broker who's never heard of bigger pockets, I'm almost like, I just can't work with you. Like, yeah. you don't know what I know. Like, you don't know what right. I'm here. So for yeah. someone else, and there's, there's nothing wrong with it. There's a lot of retail brokers and then there's brokers that work with investors. But I, right. I don't know if there's good instruction out there for how to find uh, one or the other. So what's your advice to the beginner out there trying to find that person and start their, their search or their hunt? Well, it's a little bit tougher now with, COVID and everything, but I would say networking events, you know, going to the RIA events, there's still um, a lot of ways to find them online. So whether it's different like Facebook groups, investor groups, um, I know that the local TRIA, they have a, a list of members as well. So you can just cross-reference, you know, who's a broker, but mm -hmm. yeah, it's just all about going out and meeting people and making connections, which again, is tougher now, but you can still, you know, do Zoom, you can do one-on-one -on -one coffee meetings. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, it's really just hanging out in those investor circles and you'll start figuring out, you know, who's actually there and who's doing the work versus, you know, there are a lot of agents that go hunting for investor leads. Um, but you want to make sure that they actually know what they're doing and their investors themselves versus just saying, Oh, I'm investor friendly. Yeah. I'll work with you. Most agents I would think are investor friendly. It's like mm -hmm. saying they're client friendly. Of course they are. Yeah. Totally. Why do you think, but, but then again, this I think is the flip side of the coin. Why do you think most brokers, realtors, agents uh, don't invest in real estate themselves? They're around it all the time, but they don't own any property. And, and yeah. I have an opinion on this, but I would love to hear yours. <laughs> That's a great question. I actually wonder that a lot because I see a lot of successful agents that are renting or they have, they own like the house that they live in. And I, I, I do silently judge them sometimes because I'm like, what are you doing? If you're, you're, if you're telling people, you know, 
build equity, build wealth or real estate, you know, all this stuff, it's all on their social media and then they're not doing it themselves. It's kind of hypocritical. So right. I'm right with you on, on that. <laughs> I just don't like, in theory, I get it. There's financial limitations of what banks can give you, but you can work sure. around that and you yeah. can partner with people. But I just, I don't know. It's, it's a funny thing to me that they're around it all the time. They have access to deals. They have market knowledge, which are all the typical hurdles for investors of how do right. I figure out comps? How do I figure out what this can rent for? How do I figure out what this needs to meet the market as far as cosmetic? And they just don't do it. So uh, that's really good advice there. Uh, I would love to pivot to talk about uh, maybe a specific deal. Um, I've heard you talk about this deal before, but I'd love to just hear it again from a high level of a challenging deal you've had and uh, what you learned from it, what you would do differently. Which, which deal was it that you had in mind? It was the one that, uh, I forget the, the specifics of it, but it was like a pretty heavy rehab deal and um like there were just a bunch of things that popped up i want to say it was more like recently maybe like a barn or like um not a barn but it was like a uh was it my duplex in greenville maybe that was it okay yes okay last year yeah, yeah. um oh, that was that was an interesting <laughs> so going in it's it's good to have a strategy or you know maybe one or two key strategies that you focus on um you know you can't be good at everything and so knowing you know what kind of strategy you want to pursue and not really deviating from it i would say that would be my key advice so i'm typically a buy and hold investor i'll do um, the burr method which is the buy rehab rent refinance repeat um, so those are kind of my top two mm -hmm. i do not flip um and so with that said, this was, I was like, oh, I'm going to get this super cheap property and I'm going to flip it. Um, it was, yeah, it was like a 2,500 square foot duplex in Aiden, North Carolina, which is about 15 minutes from Greenville. <clears throat> and I got it from a wholesaler for like 28 grand, um, which, you know, it needed a lot of work. But I said, you know, at that price, even if I put a hundred grand into it, you know, I would be in for 130 and each side could rent for 650. So it'd still meet the 1% rule more or less, um, mm -hmm. even with that much rehab needed. So that's kind of what I was thinking when I went through with the purchase. And, um, you know, it was, it's about two hours away from Raleigh. So just checking on the property was, it, it took forever to get there. Um, and so I just, didn't check on it that often and the contractors you know would take their time and we had window delays I think it took nine months for us to get windows and then when they got there they were the wrong size so we had to like reorder and wait again um, so it was just a nightmare and the more structural work that we were doing the more we found out you know there was termite damage there was a lot of moisture wood rot issues underneath the property um, foundation issues. So it was just kind of like a, like a sinking hole. Like it just kept going. Um, so at, at one point, yeah, one of the windows arrived and it was the wrong size. And so we had a window that was boarded up and I want to say this is like last spring. Um, I got a call from the town of Aiden fire department on like eight o'clock AM Saturday morning. This is not the call you want to get on 
a Saturday or, or on any day. Um, and they said, yeah, so your property caught on fire last night. Um, one of the sides is completely like, it was the better side, the better side of the duplex where we were keeping all the materials and everything. It was just like scorched. So it didn't burn down, but everything in there was gone. Um, it was just like a black shell. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, at that point I was like, okay, I don't know what I'm going to do with this. Um, cause I was about halfway into the rehab so I put in maybe 50 or 60 grand already mm -hmm. um so yeah that that was kind of a fail um mm -hmm. obviously one piece of that like I, I didn't see coming somebody had broken through um you know since the window was was boarded up they just broke in and had a party and lit candles um so, and that's, that's another lesson, you know, if you're working on a flip far away, like set up video surveillance. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what happened with that one. Um, I ended up just taking the insurance money and I gave the property to another investor because I was just done at that point. Right. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. I, yeah. I, I do remember some of those details. This was the deal <laughs> I was thinking of, but wow. Um, what and, and we'll move off right after this but i just have to ask like <laughs> what, what would be the one or two things you would do differently if you would do this deal again even if if you would so as far as a flip if i'm going to do another flip i'm going to make sure it's within 15 20 minutes drive of me so i can be checking on it frequently checking on my contractors and everyone um having it be two hours away eh, it could work for like a buy and hold that didn't really need anything. You just hire a property manager and let it ride. But right. for something that needs a lot of work and a lot of attention, it needs to be close to where you are so you can monitor everything. Um, so that's definitely something I would change and going into it for the first flip, you know, to be that in such bad shape. Um, I would have started with something that needed just, probably more cosmetic work versus mm -hmm. structural and needing, you know, it was new, everything. It was new siding, new windows, new roof. Um, it didn't have central air. So it needed central air on both sides. It was essentially almost building a property or building a house at that point. So yeah, if you're going to start by flipping, I would say start small, even if your profit on the first one is, is not the greatest, um, you know, you'll learn so much from it that it'll just help you build on and improve your process for the next one. Totally. Okay. There, there were a couple of things you mentioned as far as just how you found the deal and some of your metrics to see if it's successful or not. So you mm -hmm. mentioned the terms wholesalers and 1% rule. Can you just uh, give a quick definition of what those are and how they fit into this whole equation? Sure. So wholesalers are those who buy properties or buy the contract on properties. Um, they're the ones that have the, the big bandit sign to say, like, we buy houses. Um, they'll do, like, direct mail. They'll do cold calls. And they're essentially targeting sellers that, you know, are in distress, usually, or just have a property that they just want to get rid of. And so what they do is they put the contract on the property and they sell the contract typically to an end buyer. So that could be another investor. It could be someone who's going to flip the house, someone's going to hold it and rent it. Um, and they make the profit on, you know, on the contract. So they sell the contract at a higher price essentially. Got and it. so, 
Yeah, and you can find wholesalers. You know, they're always at these RIA events. This particular wholesaler I found on Craigslist. So mm -hmm. he was, even though he was in Greenville, he, he was advertising the property on the Raleigh Craigslist. And so that's how I found it. So it was uh, smart on his part. Before, before we go to like metric stuff, I just want to go one layer yeah. deeper on wholesalers. I, I work with wholesalers and uh, you hear a lot of stuff on them. Like mm -hmm. what's your, what's your overall view on like the way that the business of wholesaling runs? Do you think it's like ethical? Do you think it's a fair business? Like, do you, um, have you had any good experiences, bad experiences with it? Other than this one, one off right. deal, like what's your view on them in general? Can a beginner investor or, um, a less active investor work with them and get value out of it? They definitely can. Um, it's less regulated. So you have to be careful. I would say ask around. Um, it's a lot about reputation. So wholesalers will generally know other wholesalers mm. or other investors. So definitely ask around this particular one. Um, I found out he had a great reputation because I asked a bunch of my investor friends. They're like, Oh yeah, I've bought properties from him. Like he's awesome. And so that made me feel a little bit more comfortable, but I've also seen wholesalers that are super sketchy. Um, like I, I remember showing up to this one property that this wholesaler was trying to sell and I got there and another wholesaler showed up and was trying to sell the same property. And we were like, what? So they both had contracts on the same property oh, and they didn't know about, yeah. Um, and so I guess the owner at that point had, sold both contracts it was it was kind of messed up um so stuff like that happens too just because it is kind of the wild west <laughs> yeah. um so uh, yeah it's yeah it's definitely about a lot more about trust and reputation um since it's not as regulated got it okay so yeah. i think we're, we're in the same camp like it can be very valuable but then at the same time you need to do a little bit more digging and homework and make sure that absolutely you're not just taking things for what they say they are, especially for those out there listening. I think I said this a couple episodes ago, but if you're in these Facebook groups and a wholesaler posts a deal, what this will typically look like is them posting a picture of a house and saying, I picked it up for this price and it needs this much work. And then here's the ARV. Uh, never believe that. It might <laughs> exactly. be true. Like it, it could be, but then again, like it definitely could just be, totally made up. So right. on that point, I think it's, it's just, it depends who you talk to. Um, just the one thing I didn't want to forget, you mentioned, uh, again, just some of your metrics, one of them being like a 1% rule deal for those yeah. that don't know, like what are your metrics in a rental to know like how much cash flow I want or what percentage return do I want? Or does it need to be a 1% rule deal and just kind of define what some of those are? Yeah. So the 1% rule is frequently used on bigger pockets. Um, it's essentially, it says the property is to rent for at least 1% of the purchase price per month. So in the Raleigh market, it's not really accurate anymore. I haven't seen anything that has even come close to meeting 1%. So for example, that's, you know, if you can pick up a property for 150,000, it's saying it should rent for at least 1500. It's a good way to just kind of, you know, eyeball it and know the numbers, but it also doesn't take into account other factors. So if it's a condo, you're going to have HOA fees that come out of that. And some condo associations have super high HOA fees. So mm -hmm. at that point, you're not really comparing apples to apples. Um, so it's a good way to like look at it from a high level, but it's also, you need to do a little bit more digging. Do you have a problem with HOAs or condos or any advice for people looking to buy houses compared to condos for rentals? 
So it really depends. Um, my first two investment properties were both condos. So I kind of have a soft spot for it, but you definitely want to make sure the HOAs are well run um, mm -hmm. and what they include. And if there are any special assessments coming up, I did have special assessments on both as well. So um, one wasn't too bad. It was a couple hundred bucks because we were doing the water submetering. So, you know, in the end, I actually ended up saving money on that. But the second one, it was, I think it was like 2,500 bucks for a special assessment per unit. Um, and it was because some of the, the foundation um, like was rotting because they had used untreated wood, like the builder had used untreated wood for whatever reason. Um, so yeah, it, it really depends on how well funded the HOA is. And that's something that you can find out more during the due diligence period. Like definitely dig into the reserves, the budget, um, when did they last have a reserve study done and find out are they saving enough for all these deferred maintenance related items. Um, so it can't, I mean, they can be great. They're great starter properties. Um, another aspect I'll mention is financing can be kind of tricky on these condos with HOAs, especially if there are a lot of investors in the community um, because they can't be sold on the secondary market, these loans. Mm -hmm. So they will really have to be done by typically a credit union or a commercial lender. So it could skew some of your, um, your like interest rate and terms and everything as well. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I think for beginners they are actually great in the sense of if you can check those boxes of the HOA not being a group of uh, difficult people <laughs> and having all these bad finances, which those two boxes are not easy to check. Like most of these HOAs are run by people that are just on power trips. And then a lot of them are also mismanaged. But for beginners, I think it does help alleviate a lot of the pressure of the, the like unknown of replacing a roof, keeping up with outdoor cosmetic stuff, keeping up with siding issues, foundational stuff like the outside structure should be taken care of. And for people looking to get started, I actually, I changed my tune on this. I think it's not a bad thing for people that, I think get a little more advanced and experienced, then I think you can make the transition more easily into houses. And again, for beginners, I think you've touched on it. It's not about squeezing out every last dollar. It's about getting started, getting a right. deal done, and then learning. And then from there, you can figure out your next little baby step. So um, yeah, that's really good there. So uh, Tiffany, what is next for you? Like what are, are you looking to become a billionaire? Are you looking to just achieve financial freedom? Are you um, trying to grow the brokerage business? Is it more about the investment business? Like what's top of mind for you in 2020 and the next couple of years? I know it's like kind of a big question, but. Uh, yeah, uh, I would say all of the above. <laughs> um, financial freedom for sure. Just continuing to invest in properties. Um, I'd love to like, all the other investors out there, I'd love to get, you know, a multifamily property apartment complex type deal. Um, but then also growing my brokerage business. So bringing on more team members and um, yeah, I'm excited for 2020 and what it'll bring. Um, my goal is to, you know, part of building the team is so I can look for, for more deals and be more active as an investor. I've kind of just done it on the side, um, mm -hmm. but maybe split more of my time between the brokerage activities and investing, and then also potentially bringing, you know, the bigger clients into the brokerage. So 
maybe even going into development or commercial. Um, so we'll see, but big things ahead. Yeah, I love it. Every time I see you're uh, onto new projects and <laughs> new companies now. So uh, it, it's really cool. But um, I, I just want to ask, I guess, one more question on that before we kind of do like a little wind down um, is when you think of financial freedom, has that concept changed for you at all as far as like when you were just starting or now or um, just how do you think about it today? Like, like when you hear the word financial freedom for your life? Yes, it's definitely changed for me. In the beginning, I, I found like Mr. Money Mustache in college and, yeah. you know, living on like ramen and <laughs> it just like super cheap living. Um, I still am pretty frugal now, but I think I've shifted more towards, it's called like fat fire. So um, focus more on like creating a lifestyle that I want and then making sure that my passive income can fund it. Mm -hmm. I, I, I mean, I like certain things. I like nice cars. Um, I like going out to eat. And so I'd rather, you know, I love my job. So I'd rather work and focus on making more income to cover the things that I like to do versus scrimp and save just, you know, and live more frugally. And I mean, it's the beauty of it is you can create it to be whatever you want. So some people would rather just focus on saving as much money as possible and then living frugally and making it last. And that works for some people. Um, for me, I know that, you know, I like what I like. And so I'd rather work and, and, you know, do what I love and make money. Um, so yeah, it's kind of changed a little bit over the years, but still that core is still there. Totally. It's either make more or save more. And you exactly. can only save so much before you can run out of what things you can cut. So um, right. I've had it too, where it just for me, it was like basic necessities. And then it's expanded a little more to more of a lifestyle instead of just like checking the essentials, like water, like food and shelter. But yeah. now like, you know, there's, there's more to life than that. Um, last question, uh, just as far as like systems and organizing, cause you have a lot of stuff going on. So always curious how people manage it or track it or, if they organize their time in any specific way, any technology you use or specific systems or tools, tricks you use to stay organized, or at least make sure that you're focusing on stuff that is important and not just being busy? Yeah, that's a great question. And that's something I'm still trying to figure out. <laughs> um, I would say Google Sheets is probably like my savior with that. Um, mm -hmm. I have a spreadsheet for everything. Um, so yeah, as far as like time tracking, I could get a lot better at that. I have a Calendly, um, so it's pretty cool. You can just add like a link to your calendar and your email signature. And mm -hmm. I, I wanna say it's like 10 or 15 bucks a month. That helps a lot because, you know, I get a lot of people who request like meetings or coffee or whatever. And instead of spending five minutes on email or text going back and forth, like what time works for you? When works for you? I can just say, hey, here's a link you know, sign up for a time that works for you and then I move on. So yeah. yeah, yeah. So I would way. say Calendly and Google Sheets are probably my top two. <laughs> Love it. Okay. Hey, like it's funny because you hear a lot of different answers. I hear a lot of different answers and um, some of the most successful people are pen and paper. You know, like it doesn't need to be overdone if you're just working on stuff and it's effective. Um, doesn't need to be over 
overbuilt. So Tiffany, um, great catching up as always. Uh, it's cool to hear what you're doing and it's great to just hear, uh, some of your stories of why you think the way you do. So, um, I think we're pretty much good here. Is there, I just want to say thank you again for coming on. Thank you for helping people in the, uh, Raleigh and Cary area. Any last parting word or call to action to the audience, um, or anything you're working on that people can check out, um, along with ways to kind of contact you? Yeah. So, um, I actually released a, an ebook on investing recently. Um, it's called how to invest in real estate, like a home girl, and you can find it on Amazon. So definitely check that out. It's a great little beginner like guidebook. I wrote it specifically for beginning investors. And as far as how to find me, Instagram is probably the best place. Um, I hang out on Instagram most frequently and it's just at Tiffany.Alexi. Okay. Awesome. Well, Tiffany, thank you again for coming on and uh, we'll be watching and, and tracking the journey as you <laughs> buy new cars and start new businesses. So. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for having me. All right. All the best. See you later. Bye. Hey, you millennial millionaire. Do you want more? Then head to the Millennial Millionaires Through Real Estate Facebook group, where there are tons of step-by-step -step walkthroughs, tools, templates, and free networking to help you achieve financial freedom through real estate. And if you want Jonathan to help you personally reach your goals, then feel free to set up a one-on-one -on -one call in the link below or message him on any social media platform and apply to, well, work with Jonathan.